journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shalom, shalom. This is Adol Kazilski and this is 101.9 High FM. Glad to be with you and glad to be transversing the Bible, my favorite, favorite. Um, and I hope you're going to enjoy it as much as I enjoy teaching it to you. We are in the book of Exodus, the book of Shemot. We are in the Pasha of Shemot. And we are following the most, uh, what should we call it? It's actually quite dramatic. The most dramatic story of how the Jews actually come out of Egypt. And there is so much that we can learn. And the way we are learning it is through Midrash, is through the stories behind the Psukim, the verses of the Torah. Last time we were together, we were speaking about how Moses was actually saved and how he became a prince in the house of Pharaoh. And in fact, he grows up to be a very beloved son to Batya, who eventually, as we will see, um, she converts and she goes on to join the Jewish people and marry uh, Kalev, but that's for another time and another story. But meantime, she still remains Pharaoh's daughter. And of course, he becomes Pharaoh's grandson. And he, because of his saintliness, because of his greatness, he really, really managed to charm um, everybody and do what was needed. Um, to gain favor in everybody's eyes. So this is where we are right now. If you are going to follow in the Chumash, which I do encourage if you're not driving, you can look at chapter 2, and we're going to learn two really fascinating stories which um, which happened. And there are only a couple of verses, but I'm going to tell you the story behind the story. As always, of course, the chat line is open. Our SMS number is 34519. And our Telegram, 061-895-1019, if you're wanting to ask a question or a comment, etc., etc. Right, let's get going in Chapter 2, Verse 11. Vayahi, and it was... Bayamim Haheim in those days, Vayigdal Moshe. Moshe grew up. He also like grew in power. And I'm going to explain to you why he grew in power. But let's carry on the verse. Vayetze el Echav. He went out to his brothers. Vayar besivlotam. He saw their hard labor. Vayar ish mitri make et ish ivri meechav. And he saw um, a Egyptian man, an Egyptian man hitting a Jewish man who was his brother. Um, I'm going to read verse 12 as well. Vayifen kovacho, he looked back and forth. Vayarki ein ish, and he saw that there was nobody there. So what did he do? Vayachet mitzri he struck down the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. Phenomenal is exactly two verses. He grew up, he went out and saw how hard the Jews were suffering, he saw an Egyptian beating a Jewish man, he saw nobody was around, so he killed the Egyptian. That's the sum total 
of what the Torah tells us in this story. And of course, as we know, there are many, many facets to Torah. There are many, many ways in which we can learn Torah. And we are going to be using the Agadic. We're going to be looking at the Midrash, the stories, and we are going to see what all of this is about. So what does it mean by Yigdal Moshe, that Moshe grew older? Well, the Midrash goes and tells us that, in fact, he also grew in power. And as he grew up, he eventually became one of the palace's um, officers. Some say that it was early until, that, that he remained in the palace early until he was 12 years old. That is one, one uh, commentator. But nevertheless, what happened with Moshe is that he became very popular in the royal court. Of course, he was beloved by his foster mother, Batya. As I explained, she was the daughter of Paro. She treated him as her early son, not letting him out of sight. And um, he was always around the royal entourage. Um, he hardly ever, ever had occasion to travel alone during his youth. There's only two places now that he does travel alone, and these are the stories that we are going to see Unfolding. Now, Moshe knew that he was only the stepson of Batya, and he knew, in fact, that he was Jewish, that he was a fellow Israelite, and on the royal entourages of him going out, he would see the horror of subjugation and slavery that his brethren went through. It was, it was really Horrible, horrible, horrible. And the Midrash goes and tells us that tears would stream from his eyes when he saw the sight. And he would say, better I should die than witness the the degradation of such a people. And so he made it his business that because he was mingling around and he had uh, uh, an opportunity to do so, he tried the best to help people. So if he saw a person, for example, struggling under his load, he would run and ask if he could help. Now this, just I want to bring to your attention, is the first sign of somebody who is a tzaddik, somebody who shows signs of saintliness. Because when a saint, when a tzaddik sees an injustice and a wrong, he can't tolerate it. Also, he saw what the Egyptians uh, were doing. They had such horrible, nefarious uh, schemes. They would, for example, make children carry the burdens designed for adults. They would force women to do men's jobs. They would make the elderly carry burdens meant for young peak, for, for men who, who were like young um, and at the peak of their strength. So there was absolutely no mercy. And in fact, I've got to tell listeners, I'm reading a book right now called The Lost Slave. I picked it up from our local Jewish bookstore. Um, and it is all the compilation of all the Midrashic stories. And it's put into a novel called The Lost Slave. And uh, I have to say it's only for mature readers. It's not something that you should buy your kids. But when you read it, somehow when you listen to what and how the Egyptians did what they did to our Jewish brethren, in one aspect, the Egyptian bondage was far worse than the Holocaust. And for all of us that are Holocaust um, students and, and have had parents, grandparents involved in the Holocaust, and there's been a lot written on the Holocaust, it's actually quite difficult to imagine. But the horror that went on for 210 years, just in that alone, um, made it far greater a horror than the, the Holocaust, um, was quite scary.
So what did Moshe do? He mixed with the workers and he would help and the, he, he would, he would be undercover. He wouldn't let any of the Egyptians know that he was a Hebrew. He kind of like said, I'm an Egyptian volunteer and I'm working for patriotic reasons because if the Egyptians knew that in fact he was a Jew, that he was a Hebrew, um, that he would become a slave himself. So he would do all sorts of things. And because he also had influence in the palace, when he would come back, he would try to do, do um, stuff to make the burden of the Jews easier. One of the interesting things he noted was that they were working seven days a week, working every day without a break. And one day he approached Pharaoh and he said, you know, if a person has a slave, you should give him some time to rest because if not, your slave will die and that you lose your investment, right? But if you give them a day of rest, um, you won't have any regrets and you will be able to have them forever. And Pharaoh thought that was a fantastic idea. And he said to Moshe, I give you full authorization to designate a day of rest for uh, for the slaves. And we're going to see, and I'm sure you're going to be able to guess, that in fact um, you'll know what day Moses will choose. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Well, you can guess what day of the week he gave them Shabbat. He told them, let them work for six days and allow them to rest on the 7th. And that is why, by the way, in the Shabbat morning Amidah, anybody who attends shul knows we say the words, Yismach Moshe b'matnat chalko. Let Moshe rejoice in his portion. What does that mean? Well, when God first gave Israel the commandment to keep the Shabbat, which we'll see later um, by, by in the Ten Commandments, it says, Yismach Moshe. Moshe rejoiced in his portion because he was happy that the seventh day that he had designated as a day of rest for, for, for the children of Israel was precisely the day that had now been designated by God. And because he mingled around, Moshe, Moshe spoke to, 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 to the, to the Jews, to the Israelites. They told him about all his problems. Um, they also, they, he was also told that they knew about the incident, which I told you in the previous uh, podcast, where he took the crown from Pharaoh's head. And if you recall, Bilam advised Pharaoh to kill him, right? And um, then if you recall, and I'm, I'm, I'm basically repeating myself, uh, Yitro came and said, well, why don't you just let the guy choose? He was just a little kid. He was playing with his, 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 his grandpa's crown. And they gave him gold and they gave him hot coals and he put his hand on the hot coals that made him stutter. Well, because it was well known, guess what happened? Bilam got nervous because he knew that Moshe himself would seek revenge. And so together with his two sons, Bilam fled to Ethiopia. So Bilam left the palace of Paro at that point in time. This is an important um, thing to note, which you will find about later. Now let's get to the story that we just read the two verses that he grew up. We understand now that he was pretty powerful. He understood their suffering. He tried very hard to help um, in their suffering. And now he comes upon 
an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Let me give you the back story. So <clears throat> in order to get tasks done, what the Egyptians did was they appointed Hebrew overseers that were under the order orders of the Egyptian officers. Very similar to what we saw in the Holocaust where we had the Nazis, the SS, and they then appointed Jews um, to be in in charge of the Jews, the Kapos, as they were known. So there were Kapos in the time of, of, of Egypt as well. Now, every, every Jewish Kapo, every Jewish uh, Hebrew overseer was in charge of 10 Jews, while each Egyptian officer was in charge of 10 Kapos. So that's really how it would work out. And if the Jews did not fulfill or complete their daily quota of making bricks, then the, 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 the Egyptian officers would take it out on the Kappos. So the task of the Kappos was to see, to ensure that their brethren worked properly, worked uh, constantly without stopping for, uh, uh, for even a minute. Now, every morning the officers would go wake up the Kappos, the overseers, so that the latter could get their crews together to work. Now, one morning there was an Egyptian officer who came to the house of an overseer. This overseer's name was Datan. And he happened to see Datan's wife. Datan's wife, her name was Shlomit, and she was the daughter of a man called Divri, who was from the tribe of Dan. And this woman, Shlomit, was apparently a beautiful woman. And this Egyptian officer um, could not hold back his eyes, nor his infatuation. And so he schemed up a very horrible scheme. He decided that he needs to be with her. So the next day, the Egyptian officer came to Datan's house very early in the morning while it was still dark. And he was greeted by Shlomit. Shlomit, like, kind of like made a bit of a joke about it. And she said, oh, you're so early. You're already on your rounds. The, 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 the cock hasn't even crowed yet. And it's not time to go into the field yet. And you seem terribly anxious. The Egyptian officer understood this as an intimate invitation, okay? Um, and he didn't, he didn't, he, he wanted to be with her. At the same time, okay, um, Datan had gone out early into the fields because he didn't want the Egyptian officer to see him as lazy. So basically, Datan ran out to go and get his job done and to make sure his brethren were doing the work. And the Egyptian officer basically hid himself a short distance from the house. And when Datan was safely on his way to work, he let himself into the dark house. Remember, there were no, there was no electricity at that point in time. And in the shadows, he saw Shlomit lying in the bed and he joined her. She thought it was her husband, so she submitted to him, and she lands up conceiving from this episode, which we will get into a little bit later.
Meantime, Datan, her husband, had noticed that he had forgotten something, and he came back home. And as he approached the house, he saw the Egyptian officer coming, and he saw his wife in his bed. So she, so he got cross with her, and he said to her, did this Egyptian touch you? So the wife replied, what Egyptian? I was just in bed with you. So what happened was that it didn't take very long for Datan to realize what happened, and the Egyptian officer realized that Datan knew, and a whole argument ensued now. Why? Because, first of all, there was a strict order from Pharaoh that Egyptians should not fraternize with the Egyptian woman. Okay, They didn't want... The, the the Jewish woman to become defiled by the Egyptians, and now this had happened. So now the Egyptian officer was in a very, very difficult position because he had just committed adultery with a, a Jewish woman. That's number one. Number two, uh, and so he had broken Pharaoh's rule. Number two, the husband had found out. So the only option now was for the Egyptian to make the life of Datan, okay, the capo, completely miserable. So he waited for Datan, and he started beating him, and started telling, giving him very difficult tasks, and he was, he was, he was giving him a real big hiding, hope, hoping that he would kill him on the pretense that Datan had not fulfilled his quota and had not got his fellow Jews to do what they were supposed to do. At the same time, Datan realized that his wife had slept with an Egyptian and he wanted to divorce his wife, um, but he couldn't find her. What had happened to his wife? His wife ran away to his brother Aviram. Now remember this name, because Aviram comes into the story a little bit later. So now we're coming into the entrance of the posuk that we read. Moshe grew up, he had a lot of influence, and he comes out, and what does he see? He is seeing an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Now, Moshe was a tzaddik, right? We spoke about his saintliness. He saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrew, but he was, even though that what was physically happening and it looked like the Egyptian was hitting the Hebrew because he did not fulfill his quota, he knew prophetically what had happened in the house, that the Egyptian had defiled Datan's wife, and he also knew prophetically that the Egyptian now intended to find an excuse to kill the Hebrew. So using all his prophetic power, Moshe looks into the future of the Egyptian to see if any good would come of him, if any of his descendants would be would, would do good. Because if he did find a single descendant who would be destined to do a good thing, he would not kill him. Um, and this is just as a parenthesis, Children and grandchildren of wicked people who do good in their own right are very, very precious. In the eyes of God, it's kind of like a, a rose amongst amongst the thorns. But as far as, the, as in the future, as Moshe could see, 
he could see that not one good person would descend from this Egyptian. Now, obviously, you know, when it comes to a, a, a human court, these things cannot be taken into consideration when sentencing a man to death. No, no, no ordinary mortal has the means of determining such things. And, um, the, the, if the courts were able to refrain from executing anyone who could possibly have good offspring, even the worst criminals would go unpunished. Okay. But here in this case, Moses looked at this man's potential. He understood what it was, and this is why the verse says, um, the second verse says, He looked back and forth. This means he was looking down the guy's generations, forward in the guy's generations. He was trying to ascertain if there were any potential descendants of this Egyptian, and he could not find anything. So that's what it means he looked backwards and forwards. Yes, he also looked back and forth to see if anybody was seeing him. Then it says, Vayarki ein ish, he saw that there was no one out there. Okay? Now, even on a practical level, Moshe, um, was commanded to kill the Egyptian, and I'll tell you why. Because he had committed adultery with a Jewish woman. Now, adultery is one of the seven Noahide laws, meaning there are 613 mitzvot that Jewish people are obligated to keep, and then there are seven Noahide laws given to Noah, we spoke about that long, long time ago, that um, the non-Jewish world is is obligated to keep according to Torah. One of them is adultery, and it carries a mandatory death penalty. So a non-Jewish person can be sentenced to death with a single witness and judge. And so in this case, he was able to act as the witness, as the judge, and as the executioner, because he knew that this man, albeit that he didn't have any descendants, he could have you could have argued this is not fair that Moses, you know, could, could see in, uh, so far, blah, blah, blah. He can't, he can't kill him. The truth of the matter is, from a Noahide perspective, he, he, uh, he had committed adultery. And a non-Jew can be put to death for committing adultery. Which, FYI, let's sound it out all there, adultery is a capital punishment for the entire of humanity. Not only for Jewish people, it's something that is uh, really not taken very seriously in today's society, but it is a very, very serious um, concern. And so that was why he, he justified that he could kill him. Another opinion holds that he killed the Egyptian for beating a Jewish person. Now, if a, a non-Jewish person comes to kill a Jew or wants or has intention to kill a Jew, okay, you are commanded to kill him. Now, um, this is a, an argument that is, is, is discussed even today, and it is something that um, is held um, in high regard amongst, um, uh, amongst Jewish people, and in particular in Israel, where you hear that the IDF will go on raids, and go kill terrorists 
whom they know have the intent to kill other Jews. So we've unfortunately seen a lot of violence um, always, but particularly now in the last little while, there's been a lot of violence in Israel. And if if the if the government does pick up and gets um, proper intelligence that there are people um, planning to f- form a terrorist attack, it is a commandment to go and kill them first. We need to defend ourselves. And so here too, um, he this guy, even if you weren't going to argue any of the other arguments, he was hitting a Jew, he had full intent to kill him, and therefore it was incumbent upon Moses in an act of defense to go and kill the Egyptian first so that the Israelite should not be killed. And so he he basically killed him. How did he kill him? Well, there's a few opinions. One say that he was very powerful, he was very strong, and so with one single blow to the head with his fist, this guy was done. Another said that he took a basin that, that where the mortar was mixed and he, he dropped it on the head of the Egyptian and his head split open, killing him instantly. Another opinion, very interestingly said, that Moses didn't commit this physically. What he did is that he was very, very steeped in mystical powers and he killed the Egyptian by utilizing one of God's secret names. So um, Moses dispenses of this Egyptian officer based on three reasons, really. One, that he prophetically knew what he had done, okay, um, and that there were no descendants, that he had committed a die, which is punishable by death, and that he was about to kill a fellow Jew, and so as an act of defense, he killed him. What did he do? He buried the Egyptian in the sand with with a number of of Jewish people, Israelites, that were looking on. So the death of the Egyptian remained a a mystery to the Egyptians, though many of the Jewish people knew about it. None gave any information. And then Moses was able to return to the palace as if nothing had happened. This is 101.9 High FM. Need to fill up? Experience top-class friendly service at energy filling stations with approved quality petrol and diesel products. We can't wait to welcome you corner Louis Botha Avenue and Louis Road or at one of our other 34 stations. Energy, helping you find joy in every journey. For your nearest energy outlet, visit www.ener-gi.co.za. When God created the lofty mountains, the oceans teeming with life, the planets, and the galaxies, God also thought the world needed one of you. What did you do today to better the world? Big or small, we would love to hear from you. Email Kathy with a K at highfm.com. Share your story. Inspire others. Change the world. Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, so he gets off scot-free, um, goes back to the palace as if nothing happened. This is verse 13. 
he goes out a second time. Now he comes across not an Egyptian and um, a Hebrew, but two Hebrew men. They're fighting. Vayomer, la Russia, and he says to the wicked man, Lama achake re'echa, why are you about to strike your fellow man? So who were these two Jews that were fighting? They were none other than the guy he saved, Datan, and his brother, Aviram. Right? Why were they Quarreling, they were they were both wicked guys. They both were good for nothings. Okay, they were fighting about the bill of divorce that Datan wanted to give his wife Shlomit. You remember we said Shlomit got defiled by the Egyptian. She ran away to the, his brother Aviram. Now Datan and Aviram are having a whole argument, and one had lifted his hand to strike the other, and that's why when Moshe saw him and said, "Hey." Why would you want to strike a fellow human being? Now, we need to pause here and understand that it says that if a person so much as lifts his hand to strike another, he is considered wicked, even if he doesn't hit him. And that's why it says, <clears throat> He said to the wicked man, well, how did he know he was wicked? Because the guy's hand was lifted to hit his fellow Jew. And you can see even in the words it says, Lama take re'echa. Why are you about to strike your fellow man? He didn't go and say, Lama hikita re'echa. Why did you strike your fellow man? Because he hadn't struck him. He had intention to. He had his fist up and he was ready to give his brother a, a, a patch there. Okay? So anyone who lifts up one's hand against a fellow Jew, is considered wicked. And in fact, there is a cherem. There's an excommunication that can be put on any Jew that strikes a fellow Jew. And it's a big spiel to get it annulled. You have to go before a base den, etc. And just, just by the way, this is not only a man to a man, it's man to a woman. It's forbidden for a man to strike his wife. Um, one who does so will, will, will be divinely punished. Okay, so he says to him, why are you wanting, why are you going to hit your brother? Verse 14, Vayomer, so the man says, Mi samcha leish sar veshofet aleinu. Who made you an officer and a judge over us? Hal hargeni ata omer kasher hagate eta mitri. Would you say to kill me just as you killed the Egyptian? Vayira Moshe, Moshe became frightened by Yomer and he said, Acheno Dahadavar, this matter has become known. So Datan was basically saying to him, what are, you, what are you doing? Are you going to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? So instead of having Hakaratatov, instead of being grateful for what Moshe did, he went and said, I know who you are. I saw you kill this man with God's name, okay, it's known, it, we all know that you're Jewish, that you're a Hebrew, that you know the, 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 the mysteries of the Torah. Um, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to treat me the same way that you're going to, that you treated the Egyptian? And basically what happened, Moshe becomes very, very frightened, very, very worried. He knows now that there are certain Jews um, amongst them all that would be happy 
and, and resort to informing of, of him. Okay? Um, now, one of the praises that was, that, that, that's been told about the Jewish people is that they never told one to another, even to death. But there were certain good for nothings amongst the Jewish people that did do that. And I, I find this a very interesting, um, a very interesting parallel to in the Holocaust where there is, there is a sense of judgment, um, against a, a certain capos that were in charge of the Jews in the extermination camps that would get the Jews more into trouble just to save themselves and to tittle on, tittle on them just so they could save their own skins. Well, I guess it's a kind of maybe even a reincarnative thing. So here we have Datan, and instead of him knowing now that um, Moshe saved his life the day before, he's now going and saying, oh, so you're going to do to me what you did to the Egyptian. I'm going to tell on you. And in fact, they do tell on him. Because the next verse says, Vayishma paro et adavar hazeh. Paro hears this incident. Vayivakesh laharoget Moshe. He seeks to kill Moshe. Vayivrach Moshe mitne paro. Moshe flees from before paro. Vayeshev eretz Midian. Um, he goes and lives in the land of Midian. Vayeshev el aber. And he lives near a well. Let's hear the story behind that. So what had happened? Datan. Uh, Moshe runs away from the scene, right? When he hears what's happening, Datan and Aviram tittletale. They seek an audience with Pharaoh, and they tell um, tell Pharaoh that uh, you remember that child, that 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 child now that you consider your son. You remember the time he took the crown from your head? He's now aiding and abetting your enemies, and. Initially, Pharaoh looked at them unbelievingly because he knew Moshe to be a very loyal prince, um, and you know, he 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 didn't believe them until they went and said he's not really your grandson, you know, and you know that he went out on his own, and you know, yesterday he killed an Egyptian, and so basically, in essence, what Datan and Abiram did was that they launched a campaign of slander against Moshe until Pharaoh became convinced that he was, in truth, really a traitor and a revolutionary, and so he sent Moshe to his death. Now, there are various opinions. Did Moshe really go to his death? One opinion says yes, that uh, they led Moses, they, they led Moshe to the execution platform, they put his head on the block, there was a huge stone used to execute members of the royal family, it was poised in the executioner's hand, and as, as the executioner struck the death blow, Moshe's neck miraculously became hard as stone, and he remained unharmed, and the sword bounced back at the executioner, and it killed the executioner instantly. Um, they got very nervous, so they, they realized now that Moses had some type of protection from God, so they threw him into prison and, and, and debated on how to put him to death. That's why it says, Vayiva kesh laharog et Moshe, that he sought to kill Moshe. He didn't get to kill Moshe because he was trying to work out how to kill him. Um, then they brought Moshe into the chamber where Pharaoh's advisors were de- de- deliberating their fate. And we are told the Midrash goes and tells us that at that moment an angel appeared, disguising himself as Moshe and took his place. 
and all the men that were sitting there, the Supreme Council, this big hoo-ha of, of, of Egyptian society, they all became blind, deaf, and, and paralyzed, dumb and paralyzed. And Moshe was able to escape, and the angel remained in his place. And then when they recovered, they saw this, this, this Moses standing calmly in their midst. Um, but when they realized that it was, in fact, not Moses, but an angel, Moses was already far away. Um, we are told that another angel picked up Moshe out of Egypt and plonked him in the desert 40 days away from Egypt. So he managed to escape before Pharaoh could do anything to him. So that is the story there. This is 101.9 High FM. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And just to wrap it up, there is one opinion that he didn't go through any of this, that Moshe fled as soon as he heard that Pharaoh was aware of the incident, because, look, he knew better than to try to defend himself before Pharaoh. And uh, he learned he learned from his, uh, his, his great-grandparents, from the patriarchs, right, that it's sometimes better to flee and avoid trouble. You remember Avram fled from Nimrod, Yitzhak ran away from Avimelech. Yaakov ran away from Esav. He did the same thing. It was genetic. And where does he land up? We said in Midian. He lived near a well. And it says at that time he composed a song of praise, thanking God for saving him from Pharaoh's hand. We're going to leave it there because then we're going to go into the next drama. Um, and that you're going to have to tune in next week, same time, same place. So until then, have a Shavua Tov, a fabulous week ahead. And I'll be with you next week.